I think all the indications are that remote work is here to stay. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. Okay, let's do this. So today's session is called The Uneven Rise of Remote Work. It's on the topic of remote work, a very popular topic. Uh, we know that here at Fishbowl because, like I said, I feel almost 10, 15% of posts on Fishbowl are on the topic, um, which makes me particularly excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, if you haven't seen me on lives before, I, my name is Matt Sabuli. I am the co-founder and CEO of Fishbowl. Uh, and today, uh, really thrilled, excited to have Nick Bunker join us. So Nick is the Economic Research Director for North America at the Indeed Hiring, Hiring Lab. And uh, that actually, uh, I was just talking to Nick before the show. This is a team of, you know, 15, 20 folks who really look closely at the data, the U.S. labor market, global labor markets, and um, come up with really interesting pieces. Uh, one of the pieces recently published, I think it's in the links section of this room, uh, is called uh, employer appetite for remote work remains elevated for some jobs. And I think there's uh, a lot kind of behind that sentence we're going to dive into today. So, um, you know, I'll let Nick, Nick offer a little more by himself, but just to kind of repeat, Nick uh, heads up research for North America at the Indeed Hiring Lab, a bit of a, a think tank of sorts on on this topic of, of labor markets. And uh, his research commentary, if you ever heard him, has been in the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, New York Times. So, Definitely published and, you know, comes from a very strong data-driven point of view. So, Nick, nice to have you. Uh, don't know if there's anything else you might want to add. Thanks for having me. No, I, I don't think too much more to add. I think just that I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, as you referenced, this is something that people are very interested in. I feel like when I tell people what I do for a living, sort of their second question or first question is often, what do you think about remote work? So uh, <laughs> I've chatted a lot, a lot about it a lot with lots of people. So I'm excited to continue the conversation here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the first question I have to ask, you study remote work for a living. Do you work remotely yourself? I do. So uh, funny enough, okay. I, so I've actually been, this is sort of like my personal remote work journey. When I started at Indeed about four years ago, I uh, started as a remote employee. Um, I was in the Washington, D.C. area, and um, they, there was no Indeed office there. But I did have the opportunity to work in a WeWork. So I was a remote employee, but I would go into a work, an office-like setting every day of the work week. So Monday through Friday, nine to five, functionally like I had an office anyway. Uh, then the pandemic started um, and I started to realize, oh, like I could have just done this from my uh, living room the entire time and have slowly come to appreciate that and actually uh, recently have moved. I, I used to live in the DC area and the fact that I and my wife work remotely um, has allowed us to move uh, to be closer to family, which is really helpful because we are expecting twins in August. So I think that wow. is one aspect of remote work that is um, can be very helpful for employees that if it gives you some geographic flexibility, it can help you uh, uh, thrive under certain circumstances that would be difficult if you weren't, say, were, uh, closer to family. Absolutely. I think we'll hit on that point. I had a question on that point. Um, how remote work might impact differently demographics, someone who is maybe more executive mid-level versus their level. But before we get into that, um, and before we get into the hiring lab report, because I think there's um, a few talking points or trends coming out of that new uh, Indeed hiring lab report that you helped publish that I want you to speak to. But top line right after that, I, I wanted to ask you, because I see this often, is, you know, the question is, is remote work here to stay? 
Meaning, you know, what we see a lot, even on Facebook, I think you read on, on networks like Reddit, you know, it's mentioned to publish the, the larger media as well. This question of, well, geez, you know, as a result of the pandemic and COVID, was there a bit of a pendulum swing to the other side where, you know, our economy, our markets kind of overcorrected going into like remote mode, mainly to, you know, uh, to, to insulate themselves from the virus and, and, its, and, and its illness. And now as we get past the worst of the pandemic, it's going to swing the back, back direction to the baseline. Or is it here to stay? And I, I'm curious to ask that question first. Feel free to answer it how, how you may. You might want to bring, bring up some of the research that you, you found from the record itself as well to talk about that. Sure thing. So the shorter answer is, I think all the indications are that remote work is here to stay. Now, it might not be in the exact form or, or extent that we saw have seen over the last year and a half, two years, but some form of remote work, whether it is fully re- fully remote work, where sort of your geographic location is less tied to where your company's office is, or even just a flexible form of remote work or hybrid form, um, where you go into the office two or three days a week, indications are that that's likely to stick around. In fact, so some of my colleagues have done research looking at what's happened to the trend in indeed job postings advertising remote work, you know, remote being either that fully remote or, or hybrid version um, across 20 different countries. Um, so that's one of the advantage of our data is that we have sort of, uh, data across a, a large number of, of countries. And what they found is that unsurprisingly remote work jumped um, in the ac- really acute phase of the pandemic, spring of 2020, when there was the, a lot of the restrictions. Um, and that's unsurprising. Um, but what we've seen is as restrictions have come down, as vaccines have been rolled out, um, and you can imagine employers would try to potentially shift back to the old ways of working away from remote work that remote work has sustained. It, it has stuck around um, that the share of postings on Indeed that mention or advertise remote work options have remained elevated. Um, and that's you know a result that holds up across all these different countries. But I think you can see that pretty clearly in the U.S. data, um, which is the most recent version is in the uh, research note that um, I published as links here in this event. And you can see that 2019, so right before the pandemic, on average, all job postings on Indeed, it was about 2.7% advertised these remote options. The latest data that we have is sort of the average for, for May, so May of 22, May of 22 so last month, uh, it was 9.4%. So several years later, gone through the acute phase of the pandemic, and it's we're still around you know, just under 1 in 10 job postings advertised this. So I think there's clearly right. sustained appetite for this on the employer side. Right. Well, so for some of the fishbowl users, I'm, st- I'm, I'm sure they're thinking, well, 10%, that feels low, meaning, you know, a lot of our users are knowledge professionals coming from industries like tech, finance, accounting, law. And they're like, well, geez, I feel like it's one out of every two of my friends or colleagues are, are remote. Um, this 10%, that's kind of global, that's global industry, I assume. So can you help explain that a bit, maybe for our, our listeners as to, you know, maybe certain industries are well above 10%, whereas we take the average across all. Yeah, that's where the 10% comes. That's very much the case. What you see here is you know, averages often, or averages mask the big variation sometimes, and that's definitely what we're seeing here. Uh, so yes, I think a lot of the jobs that maybe uh, folks in this conversation have, um, you know, the job that I have, the job that 
uh, lots of people I know have, they're more feasibly done remotely. So, you know, that average is a little bit under 10%, but you know, last month, on average, a little under 40% of software development jobs advertise remote work. And you're going to hear me emphasize the word advertise remote work because that's what we can see in Indeed job postings. Now, there might be some jobs that you can do remotely, but they're not sort of advertising it directly in the job posting. So there might be actually more remote work in those those fields than, than this number captures. You know, it can be up to 40% in some fields. If you look at, say, marketing, it's a little under 30% uh, advertise these options. If you think, one way to think about it is in jobs where a lot of your work is done in front of a screen, interacting with things on a screen, uh, if you can do a lot of your work on a laptop, that's going to be a kind of job that you're going to be more likely to do work remotely. But then you look at some of the fields that have very low share of, uh, of remote work job postings. And it's, you know, lots of jobs that don't involve sort of like sitting in front of a screen all day. So, you know, beauty and wellness, that's a job sector that includes like hairdressers and nail technicians, and, you know, dental work. That's another category. Those have less than 1% of their job postings um, right. can be done remotely. Because, I mean, it's, we don't have the technological capability for a dentist to do their job from you know, their home and not have the client at home with them. So there's just right. some, there, there's large variation there. Right. No, and, and I'm going to double click on this. Um, this part. I think our users and listeners, I should say, would find the source of data that um, is being used in your studies really interesting here. So indeed, I think most of our listeners are going to know U.S. global, uh, you know, market leader in job listings, uh, you know, um, services, I, I imagine, well, in the thousands, if not tens of thousands of companies' jobs. And so what you're saying is you're looking at your team at the hiring lab is looking at the uh, the jobs and positions that these companies are going to market for. And so is it fair to say that that may be then a bit of a lagging indicator? Because um, I'm going to bring a conversational type from Fishbowl here just to bring a little color to our, to, to our conversation. Uh, uh, there was a conversation that got yeah, identified recently in our uh, HR talent recruitment bowl. It was a public conversation where talent recruiters are speaking amongst themselves, asking, you know, how many of your candidates have dropped out when told uh, this position was not remote? And again, this is the anecdotal part. So you know, take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, one chimed in uh, saying 75% of their candidates dropped out, another one 85%, another 100%. Each of these got a few dozen likes. So, you know, again, anecdotal talk about the difficulty of hiring, of companies hiring in, for non-remote positions. In your case, you're looking at what these companies are advertising. Is it fair to say that that's a bit of a lagging indicator? So it may be actually quite higher than that. They're the kind of companies catching up to the market in this case, the labor market. So I think there is, so I, I tend to think of like our data is actually slightly like leading or because, you know, I think about, I think about this in the economist way of, of, you know, postings or job openings is going to be an indicator of what employment might look like moving forward. I, so I think. So this might suggest that, you know, the share of people in a job right now that's remote in some fashion may, may, may you know, permanently be higher. Because I think there's right. one thing where lots of people got, like, moved to being remote in spring of 2020 because of the pandemic and the restrictions. But now employers are starting to think about this as a long-term phenomenon. So they're saying, okay, we're going to look to hire people who are going to be remote for the long term. Like, for example, you know, on my team, we have hired people during the pandemic and they have started remotely and our expectation is they'll continue to work remotely. Um, so I think that's a shift between sort of the way we've hired there versus um, what happened in 
you know, spring of 2020, where Got bad who were in offices or now doing their job from their, their living rooms. Got it. Fair enough. Yeah. And you mentioned that the, the Delta you, the increase from 1% to 10% of job listings uh, being remote. I think that Delta tells the story. And, and in that case, maybe back a leading indicator. Uh, I wanted to shift gears here a bit. And um, by the way, for the audience members who are interested in asking Nick any question in and around the topic of remote work, uh, feel free to raise your hand. Uh, you could also DM me um, and I will try to read off your question uh, to Nick and we can address it that way. Uh, in the meanwhile, I did want to shift briefly here. Uh, thank you, Natasha. I'll bring, I'll bring in just a second here. She just raised her hand. I did want to shift briefly here into the, well, you introduced this concept of this workplace uh, operating model, right? Where it may, may, you can have remote, but, you know, increasingly, I think the decision is being made is, is it fully remote? Is it hybrid? What does hybrid look like? I'm curious um, if you have any more information to share there, maybe from the perspective of the, the jobless things that, you know, you're seeing being published and studying, you know, the percentage of them that are, in fact, you know, uh, fully remote compatible or the percentage of them that are, you know, hybrid per se, because I, I do see this as a, being a topic conversation fishbowl as well, where there's a negotiation happening between the employee and the employer now where it's like, okay, if I can't be fully remote, is it a two day a week requirement, a three day a week requirement? So I'm curious if there's any kind of additional granularity in the, in the job listing data that you studied uh, that differentiates between those two. That's a great question. And I think that's my sort of number one goal and like pushing this research forward is getting a better understanding of, you know, exactly what share are the different kinds of remote work. So while I don't have any good, like up-to-date, ready-to-share data on that from, say, Indeed job postings, um, I do think there's been some other interesting research on sort of the rise of not only just remote, but sort of hybrid work as well. I think one thing that's been interesting is I've been following some research by a Stanford economist and professor named Nick Bloom. And I promise I'm not shouting as research just because he is also a fellow Nick B. Um, but he's <laughs> been doing uh, sort of like doing surveys of, of workers and sort of their expectations and desires about how many days of work they'd be in the office. It's interesting that you do see, it's not just people saying either they want to be in the office or totally remote. There are some people who are thinking that they'll be in the office a few days a week. And you've seen sort of the expectations or desires sort of shift slowly over time as people have been working more remotely where they're thinking, okay, maybe I'll go once this is a, once the pandemic is quote unquote over, I'll go in like four or three days a week. And now it looks like more people are anchoring on two days a week as opposed to like three days a week, maybe even a few months ago. So it's been interesting to follow that and something I know we'll be trying to understand our research moving forward. Makes complete sense. Look forward to that research when it comes out. So N Natasha, I, it, you're free to ask your question. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Thank you all so much for having this discussion. I really appreciate it, Matt and Nick. Uh, on the line of the research that is being studied and the data that is being gathered, how does this impact teachers in the classroom and scholars that are coming into the classroom, what do you think is going to happen in the next two, three years as our scholars are back into the classroom? Do you think we're going to end up being remote in a sense? Or what? what's your take on that? Any data that shows more uh, parents or teachers or administrators and districts are actually going more towards remote learning? Or is it just us going back into the classroom, period. Yeah, so a question for you, Nick, I guess, if it, within the data, there was a, a slice looking at the education market per se, or maybe, you know, educators, I should say. Thanks for that question. That's, that's a really good one. Uh, so we don't have cut of our data that would say, I think, precisely capture 
just say teachers. So our category is education uh, that would cover teachers is called education instruction. So I think that'd be a little bit more than just teachers. But, you know, looking at that group of jobs, that's still one that has a, a very sort of relatively small share of, of postings that can be done remotely. It's only a little bit below 6%. Uh, but I think your question about sort of, you know, what's the model of instruction moving forward is really interesting. I think that, you know, I'm not an expert on education, but I imagine that this might vary by sort of the, the level of education, you know, uh, age of students or sort of, or, or the, um skills or knowledge you're trying to impart. So I think what we can see in our data right now is roughly that it's probably still a sort of low, it's a sector where remote work is probably less likely moving forward, but that's given the model we have for learning right now. So that might change in the future and will be interesting to see how that evolves. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nataka. Thanks for the question. So switching gears here a bit, Nick, so we, we talk, at the top of the conversation, we, we discussed briefly how, and congratulations, by the way, on the twins, exciting, uh, c- c- coming in how the remote work life, certainly for certain demographics or age groups, professional age groups, provide the big convenience, particularly if you have a family, you could argue. And then for other demographics, perhaps there's some convenience, but there's also a cost. Love to get your take on this. It may not be directly covered by your study, but you know this concept of how remote work impacts different demographics and if it impacts it equally. And, and the demographics, I think I'm interested in, in what we hear in Fishbowl a lot from our on one end, uh, one spectrum, new hires, uh, new hires to the market or companies out of college, maybe the mid-level hires and then executive level. What kind of differences, you know, do you, do you think or impact, you know, gets applied to each of these dem- demographics as a result of the work? So this is something that I, that I think about not only as a researcher, but also someone who's you know, a person, a, a people manager and like a team leader is about this sort of people at different arcs of their careers and remote work. And I think what I've heard anecdotally and, and seen some surveys, I think it's similar, very similar to what you were just laying out, that it's sort of appetite for remote work. It's sort of a like an inverted U that it's, you know, it tends to be lower for people at the beginning of their career and tends to be lower for people at, say, the higher levels of management or even just sort of, you know, maybe slightly further along in their career. And it does look like the strongest sort of period, sort of the, the period of life or life stage where, where interest in this is highest is for potentially people in, in that middle middle heart of their career um, who might have families to balance. Uh, you know, personally, that that's clearly something that's top of mind of me. I also think that, you know, age is a factor here. I think this is also something, you know, uh, gender is something that, that plays into this as well. We have been running a survey of uh, job seekers uh, over the past year. Uh, and one of the questions we ask people is, okay, if you have a job, are you looking to, to leave and find a new one? And one of the things we have found is that Looking for remote work is one of the top reasons. I think it's the the third most common reason. But if you look at that and you break that down by men versus women, it is higher for women. That it's much more. It seems to be higher up the priority list for women. Which you know, there, there's some other data from that survey we looked at that does suggest that part of this could be just a a, a life balancing aspect to it. That remote work is sort of easier um, and makes other aspects of life more feasible. So the flexibility being valued there. Makes complete sense. I see we have a, another Kira just joining us. So I'm going to invite Kira up onto the stage. And while she gets uh, s- situated, settled, curious if, if within the study or even outside the scope of the study, um, when it comes to aspects of professional leveling up, right, uh, whether it be promotions 
or salary increases. What data is there, if any, on the impact for remote work for, for example, promotions or salary increases? I, and I know that it's hard to kind of isolate, even it's probably a function of, again, maybe the demographic, you know, your title, your rank, but is there anything you can comment there in regards to promotions, salary increases, both items, top of mind for fishbowl users. I know they talk about a lot, uh, but how does remote work play into that? Does it accelerate it? Does it deter it? That is an excellent question. And one that I would put under the category of, I look forward to being able to look into this question in a few years. I think this is one where we might need, honestly, just more time and more experience in remote work to sort of get a better understanding of what the sort of career impacts of this will be. I also think that this is something in thinking about remote work, flexible or more fully remote work is not only just what your situation is, like, are you working remotely, but like the rest of your team? Because I think that's going to be a really important dynamic, especially like for managers. That is one question I think people have had about remote work. Is there going to be advantages or disadvantages for people who are in the office physically seeing people every day versus those who are on Zooms a lot? And I think that the model for teams and not just individuals, but really will potentially be a big factor there. So I'll do the economist answer here and say, we don't have enough data yet, but I look forward to collecting more data on the on the subject. Got it. So recurring theme here, once you collect more data on a few of those questions, we got to bring you back on to answer the, the audience, uh, at least for myself, because I, I find this topic fascinating. I'd love to learn more about that. Uh, Kira, thanks for joining us. Um, feel free to, to ask away any questions you have in mind. Thank you so much for hosting, Matt. And Nick, thanks for, uh, for being here. Uh, I have a question about COVID-19 vaccination policies. Um, I have been interviewing for a couple of different positions and some companies are actually still um, requiring uh, proof of COVID vac- uh, COVID-19 vaccine. Wanted to know if this is something that's seen across industry. Just curious. Yeah, I, I don't know, Nick, do you have any data on that? So we, so we do. That That is something that we have tried to track in our data um, to see, you know, in the text of job postings, if there are vaccine requirements. And what we have seen is that there's like a notable share. It's definitely not the majority and that they are, they sort of rose throughout 2021 as you saw you know, vaccines actually roll out, but they have waned over 2022. So there's, I apologize, I don't have the exact figures in front of me, so I can't tell you the exact amount, but it's definitely a, a, a low percent of postings. But there are definitely you know, a noticeable share of postings that advertise that, but it has drifted down a little bit over the last few months. Interesting. Thanks for the question, Kira. Uh, Daphne, I'll try to inv- invite you up. Feel free to come back up when you can. We have a, another uh, Umkar actually joining us, familiar name. Um, Hey, Umkar. Hey, Matt. Hey, Nick. Thanks. Thanks for joining. I just had a just had a quick question. So, just wondering, is there any on the topic of remote work? Is there any type of correlation between a rise in more people working remotely and inflation? Uh, I, I I don't think there's. I mean, there. I guess there is a correlation in the sense that at the same time period as inflation has gone up over the last year and a half, people have been. There's been more people working remotely, but I don't think there's any sort of like relationship there. I think they're pretty unrelated. Okay, thanks. Thanks for the question, Omkar. Um, so switching gear to the next question, Nick, something we is a bit of a, I would say, discussion area as well. I've read on popular networks, including Fishbowl, is the the productivity or the lack thereof associated with remote work. Meaning, again, and this may be based on studies outside the scope of the one you conducted directly, but what's your take on 
a productivity gap or the opposite, an increase in productivity that industry companies which are operating remotely may be experiencing? So I'll caveat this with, I don't have any, you know, a, like a large study that like controls for all these factors, but I think anecdotally and what you've seen in some like broader cuts of to productivity data is I, th- I think the surprise to many people, especially in the initial wave of the pandemic and the, the beginning of people going to work from their homes for the most part was that how little productivity actually declined, that people continued to get their work done. Um, and I think in a variety of fields, you know, lots of companies made a overnight shift. And I think it was a real testament to the hard work of so many people that lots of systems continued to run. You know, I think that's a wide variety of fields, but even in the public sector, like I know, for example, I've heard interviews with sort of the head of the group that runs the desk that actually trades the securities for the Federal Reserve. So the people who are actually like helping make the bond market run, um, they had to choose overnight to, to work remotely and they did that pretty well. So I think one and sort of I think one concern was, oh, if we're working remotely, people will work fewer hours. And actually what we've seen in some some data and some surveys is that if anything, many people who have been working from home actually are using the time that they would have used for their commute to actually do work then, or at least say that they're doing work then. So I think, if anything, there might have been a slight increase in, in work hours for some people, or at least on average, because of the shift to remote work. That's certainly been my uh, my experience where I'm always sneaking in a, a bit additional work time. And uh, yeah, uh, that, that the net net productivity noticed here in Fishbowl uh, amongst employees as well. So interesting point there. So a very, very popular topic associated with this. And again, I, I think we're starting to hit on some of the marginal or sort of some, some of the more intangible issues around your study, Nick, but feel free to chime in as you find fit, as you see fit. But culture. So I'm going to read off a post here from Fishbowl that I think resonates around remote work. Quote, I really don't like being remote and I want to have an office culture. What companies in NYC, other than the big banks, the big tech giants, have people primarily coming into the office? I'm actually not sure in case of big tech giants. I think your, your study showed that most of them are not coming to the office, but it seems like pretty much the entire industry had gone full remote. Uh, so, you know, this concept of like culture being lost or this conceit of culture being lost with remote work. And I, I can tell you being an operator myself, uh, you know, fishbowl, it's been a challenge. And, you know, we have a, a fraction, we're a fraction of the size some of these other uh, public or even tech companies are. And it's been a real challenge to maintain the, 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 the I wouldn't say morale, but definitely the culture, the same culture we had prior to remote. And we, and, and, and it's something that we're very wary that our employees may or may not be feeling. And so, you know, again, maybe calling upon your, your your personal perspective here, or maybe kind of a larger issue from a remote work perspective and its impact kind of on, on culture, that's kind of one piece. And then maybe to make it more business productive here discussion, retention, because, you know, culture is commonly associated with retention. You know, if you can maintain a happy, happy workforce, uh, employee base, uh, morale high, you're likely to keep them around and retention is really important, particularly now in a tight labor market. So, you know, maybe to reframe the question, you know, has there been, has there been any study or and you have any take on culture retention and how remote work may be impacting? That's an excellent question. So I think my last question about studies about culture and retention, I do think culture writ large is for many kinds of, for many types of jobs, um, particularly the kinds of jobs that are going to be more likely to be done remotely. Um, that is important um, that people have like a sense uh, of belonging or attachment to, to the company. And I do think that what we're going through right now, you know, we're in a transition period that remote work is becoming more ingrained. So companies are going to have to think about how they use remote work, 
how they're arranging their work to, you know, arranging work within a company to not only, you know, maintain culture or build a culture while also expanding their use of remote work. Or potentially there might be some companies that realize, hey, there's enough people out there who don't like remote work that much and would enjoy like a more in-person per- per- focused culture. And they can try to use that maybe to attract some people. One thing that is a very much a possibility and you know, as a researcher, I'm keen to see how it shakes out is, is sort of if they're sorting there. If there are some industries that decide, hey, yeah, we can do some flexible work, but we want people in the office for a variety of reasons, culture being one of them. But maybe there's other industries or maybe even firms in the same industry that are saying, no, we're totally fine and happy with a really distributed workforce. So I think t- to my mind, that'll be um, interesting to see how that shakes out, how people, um, you know, how big their trade-off there is and how different companies and industries um, navigate that trade-off. Cool. Um, so just following on that topic, so another another lens to look at remote work and it's, you know, kind of impact on the, the business cycle or the business uh, businesses in general is, is innovation uh, or, you know, R&D, maybe another term for it. So, you know, innovation is one of these things, you know, myself being an entrepreneur, it's my third, third, third company. I can tell you it, it's incredibly difficult to articulate what, you know, how to, how to create innovation. Part of it is a science and yeah, you put certain, cer- certain types of people with certain skill sets in a room and they'll innovate and they'll create something. But some of it is, um, very serendipitous and, you know, in many ways, uh, a function of, of blind luck sometimes where you put the right people at the right time and not knowing where you're going to get. And so what I'm trying to get at here is uh, I see in society, it's increasingly this debate uh, on the impact innovation that remote work can have, where one end of the spectrum, maybe the pros, Andreessen Horowitz, notable VC, saying Rome and its civilization wasn't built out of an office, making the claim that, you know, maybe not necessary. On the other hand, a, a lot of prominent media voices saying the value of intellectual, social, cultural immersion that happens to big companies and as a result, big cities that consolidate these employees, you, you really can't measure that. You know, where, where do you see, as someone who, you know, maybe studies more the data side of the, the labor pool and in remote work, what's your feeling on innovation and maybe the, 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 the pros and cons there uh, or, or where, you know, what impact you know, remote work, if it does settle in as a kind of a permanent, um, a, a permanent opportunity, what, what kind of impact do you believe it could have on on innovation. I will admit, I, I don't really have a hard or strong, fast like opinion on this. I think I'm I, I'm trying to be as open minded as possible because I do, you know, as a, a remote employee myself, I would like to think that there's many aspects of work that can be done digitally. But at the same time, I'm also very much looking forward to um, it's our team offsite we're having in a in a in a few weeks to see people in person because there is very much a strong aspect of 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 work and idea generation that happens in person. So I think that again, I think this is something that we're sort of potentially entering a new era and seeing how those things progress. So I, I do think that there's um, you know the possibility that serendipity can happen online that we have seen, you know, there are lots of say academic researchers who have sort of been quote unquote working remotely because they have co-authors who are in different countries um, or different cities and they've been you know, productively done research that way. But, you know, how that scales to a company, larger organizations is to be seen. Yeah, that's, that's interesting that, you know, from your kind of academic research lens, I see that, um, it, it, I'd imagine it's industry specific too, you know, if you're in big pharma, you're in the labs, clearly there's, there's a need if, if you're a chemist to be in the lab. Um, but, you know, the, the questions I've seen broached again by popular media are, 
really in the tech sector, um, if you're an engineer, a software engineer, is there a net benefit to the being working person from an innovation standpoint? I think the question of mine was um, Apple with its augmented reality division, you know, the benefit of the engineer's office. So it's definitely something to watch. But um, looking ahead, if you're a professional or a person who is, you know, a Brazil opinion that they want to they, they, they want to be remote and they're looking for uh, industries that are dependably remote friendly and immune to any office requirements. What industries or verticals would you identify for this individual? If, and I, I, I do believe we have users of that type who may have settled on, hey, I just want to I want to work in a space or a vertical or industry where I know as I scale, I won't have much requirements of going to the office. Uh, based on some of the data, what, what have you found that those, you know, the types of industries that could support that type of dynamic and maybe even grow into the future? So one of the clear takeaways that I had from this research was that if you were to basically predict which kinds of jobs are going to see the biggest rise in remote work over the past, you know, two plus years, basically you could have just looked and seen like who was more likely to adapt or, or sort of advertise remote work before the pandemic. And that was a pretty good indicator. Um, and I think, you know, it's lots of tech firms or like tech jobs that have really in the past been more likely to embrace this remote work in its different forms and look to be um, doing so before um, that, you know, I talked about software development jobs. It's just under 40% uh, of, of jobs um, at, uh, job postings on indeed advertise remote work. And that's, um, it was also one of the leaders back in 2019 before the pandemic. So I think there's like a real sustained, not only culture of remote work in technology companies and sort of tech related jobs, but also that it's something that there's been thought and experience in how to build out teams when there's more remote, remote people there. Makes complete sense. And you know, I heard before that um, the, the pandemic, COVID really maybe just an accelerant for forces already at play. And I think your research and kind of what you're suggesting um, kind of reinforces that, which is those industries, um, roles that were already on the higher end in terms of percentage of, of their listings that remote, they just got, you know, a greater percentage of them are, are now more remote as well. So there's kind of a doubling down effect. Um, Nick, where can people find you, connect with you, uh, find your lab research? Maybe just share a little more about that if people are interested in reading more about the, the work you publish. Sure thing. So if, if folks are interested in research from myself or other members of the Hiring Lab, they can just go to hiringlab.org. I mean, we have research not just on the U.S. labor market, but we also have economists and researchers in Canada, the United Kingdom, France, Germany, and Australia. So if you have any interest in those labor markets, you can check those out as well. If you want to follow sort of my research and commentary, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I like to post lots of graphs over there, so you can check that out. And I'm at Nick underscore Bunker over on Twitter. So you can follow me there if you, if you want to keep in touch. Very cool. Well, thank you, Nick, for the discussion. I think, you know, now that we had a, a monthly jobs report kind of uh, live of that where we, you know, one of your colleagues, Daniel, will have it. It would be really interesting uh, as you publish more of your research uh, uh, and, and kind of mine the data more on, on jobs and, and kind of the remote space to bring you back to future discussions. So hopefully you'd be, you'd be open for that. We'd love to have you back on. Yeah, that's a, that sounds really fun. That sounds like a good time. Very cool. And uh, you can also find, I, I, okay, so the link to, to this particular report that Nick published is in the uh, settings of this room, so you might be able to access that way. And a full recording of this event will be made available uh, after the conversation if you're, you're interested. Other than that, yeah, uh, follow follow um, Nick, myself, Fishbowl, um, on on either here or Twitter profile case of Nick. Uh, or to be notified of future research or future thoughts coming about the remote space. Thanks everyone for joining and uh, have a great 
rest of your workday. Thanks, everyone. That's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to Hardly Working. Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers and who knows, end up here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon. 